0: Uh, Abba Father, really excited about this morning, ask for your help, that we would really understand and listen, that we would be family around your table, and we would learn, and we would grow, and uh, we'd be a part of the answer in this culture and not a part of the problem. Thank you so much for your son Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're we're <clears throat> concentrating on Christ esteem, what that means, how does it look. Let's review just a little bit. The uh, the second session we did, which was last Sunday, we focused in on the 10 signs of a conscious or possibly even an unconscious uh, behaviors that indicate that we really are, you know, uh, kind of in in down deep in the rabbit hole of low self-esteem and being dependent to gain pr- approval from other people. And I'm going to grab just five of the 10 real quick by way of review. Number one, a real chronic and an acute sense in which you're being watched. This, this ridiculous, all-consuming sense that you're being watched, you're being looked at, you're being compared and evaluated, and it, you just can't get, get away from that. Secondly, you're really consumed with the outside of who you are and not the inside. It's all about how you look. And you can overlook the needs of your soul, character issues, all those things can be set aside as long as you look good. <laughs> And it's all about the externals. That's a real indicator that there's some addiction to public opinion. Number three, and this is serious business, you chronically judge other people. That's just your habit. You're a people watcher and you're a people critic. You're a people watcher and you're a people critic. Even if you're going you know, at the, to the mall and you're walking down Park Plaza or the outlets of Little Rock and you're just kind of crowd watching and you're making judgment calls about the people you see. And you're putting them in categories, and what's strange is you don't even know who they are. And you're making moral judgments about complete strangers. Amazing, making moral judgment about complete strangers in seconds, and you have no idea who these people are. That's an indicator that something's broken inside. That includes judging people on such things as nationality, skin color, age, language, Primary, secondary sexual characteristics, physical health, uh, what they drive, how they drive, what they're wearing. And in seconds, we've made a judgment call on somebody. And we have no idea who they are. And we feel good about it, like we have, we're authorized to do that kind of stuff, which is an indicator that something is broken inside our hearts. Uh, regarding our Christian faith and this kind of stuff, uh, worship is muted. We have a heart to worship, but we're just embarrassed if we do or, number five, you believe that the good things of God don't apply to you, they apply to other people. And that's a chronic conviction that you have, just that deep internal belief that good things belong to someone else and not and not to you. So uh, also last Sunday, we ran this slide, which is from the DSM5, which is the current DSM edition, on personality, or, or rather, dependent personality disorder. And this is when self-esteem gets so bad, so damaged, that you become really, really addicted to people. And it gets to a very, very unhealthy place. Now, by the way, if I show this slide, we're not trying to do group diagnosis and everybody goes, oh my goodness, I've got dependent personality disorder. No, that's not how it works with the DSM. Because I can see myself in every one of these. One time or another in my life, I can see myself at each one of these entries. When you're doing a DSM, when you're doing a diagnosis, you've got to factor in frequency, severity, and impairment. All right, so in all likelihood, nobody here is meeting this criteria for a diagnosis. Although you might find yourself on the page somewhere. That's okay. But we just get too dependent on people and and it gets really healthy. Here's another one though. This is called avoidant personality disorder, okay? And it refers to a widespread pattern of inhibition around people, feeling inadequate, and being very sensitive to negative evaluation. Remember what I said early, earlier on? The sense that you're chronically being watched and chronically being evaluated. Symptoms begin uh, by early adulthood and occur in a range of situations. Four of seven specific symptoms should be present, which are the following. Number one, avoids occupational activities, jobs, that involves significant interpersonal contact because of fear of criticism, disapproval, and rejection. This is the person that can't work on a team. They can't be at the table together and doing the back-and-forth brainstorming and and giving ideas and picking those ideas apart because they can't handle the criticism. They're best suited to be behind a monitor in a cubicle and being left alone and they punch out something. Or they get to telework and be at home and punch out their work behind a monitor and they don't have to talk to anybody, all right? Uh, two, unwilling to get involved with people unless they're guaranteed they're going to be liked. <laughs> you know, and, and if, they, if they get any signals that, that they might not be liked, then they're going to back away. They're not going to be a part of that. They show restraint within intimate relationships because of fear of being shamed or ridiculed. You know, for, for a lot of us folk, being in love, uh, just it just seemed to come easy. Falling in love, being in love just kind of came easy, and it's not not a big deal. But for other people, it is absolutely terrifying. You'd be surprised. It's terrifying. And for many, many people, they have never known the feeling of being in love and what that would actually look like and feel like. And one reason why is because if they get their heart out, At that kind of vulnerable level, they're afraid it's going to get stabbed again and kicked in the dirt. And so they go, you know, it's just not worth it. And so they show restraint emotionally, uh, fear of being shamed. Four, preoccupied with being criticized, rejected in social situations. Can you imagine being terrified going to a party where you're literally afraid of going to a community group, going to church? Going to a party, or something where there might be some conversations and some exchanges, and someone says something to you that, that uh, creates disapproval. Something like, "You're a New England Patriots fan. That's stupid." I <laughs> just pick that one. I'm not. I mean, there's lots of others, you know, that you could go with. So, but you're just preoccupied. You're afraid to be. You can't handle criticism, and it's devastating. Five inhibited in new interpersonal situations because feelings of inadequacies. Well, I would like to be friends with them, but I'm afraid I can't because they probably will think I'm I'm stupid if I if I open my mouth, or if I try to engage with them on some level, they won't like me. So you just kind of back away and just kind of seek out a private way of living. View self as socially inept, personally unappealing, or inferior to others. And it's usually reluctant to take personal risk or to engage in any new activities because they may prove embarrassing. Now, I don't know about you, but I see myself all over those, that stuff, you know? At one point or another in my life, I had those feelings. Now, by the way, I don't meet the criteria for the diagnosis because of a lack of frequency, a lack of severity, and a lack of impairment, okay? So no big deal. But boy, we can learn from this stuff, right? That some people who have self-esteem that is so low that they're literally avoiding life. They can't do life in a meaningful way because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of criticism. And they struggle just building relationships, those kinds of things. So this is pretty serious stuff. And again, for some of us, life is easy. You know, you walk in the room, you light the room up. You're just you're just all sunshine for Miss Happy Face or Mr. Happy Face, and and it's all good for others. It's crushing to walk into a room. It's crushing to to, to dare to start a friendship up or to go on a date or something. It can actually be uh, be something that that creates terror. Okay, so what are we going to do with all this stuff? Right, we did a lot of diagnostic diagnostic stuff on the first session. What is self-esteem and and what about this, um, this uh, addictive stuff? And we get, we get hooked up in public opinion. Can I interrupt just for a second? Can we give a round of, of applause to Mason? He won a four-strip bacon-eating contest against <laughs> Quinn, uh, Quinn Lowry, and I just think that's <laughs> big stuff. Brother, you the man, you the man. So uh, I was privileged to watch his video. And here's the deal. I think they were setting Quinn up. I'm not sure, but Quinn challenged Mason, whoever can eat four strips of bacon first, totally clean the plate, and then drink a glass of water, wins. The loser, you ready for this? Has to take a shower every day for one week and use Old Spice body wash. I think it was a setup. Quinn lost. He ate showers. I think we got some smart parenting going on. So... Quinn has taken a shower show. Mason, thank you for making our day wonderful. Appreciate it. <laughs> so love you, bro. Love you, bro. So uh, we just really boosted his self-esteem too, by the way. Um, okay. Uh, so we ran some diagnostic stuff. And self-esteem is this addictive thing where I see myself through you. So if you see me as a good man, I must be a good man. <sighs> At least it was a good day. My church likes me. But if you don't, then I must be worthless, and I go, Lisa, it's a bad day. Nobody likes me at church. And the danger of that is that you get this dysfunctional swinging back and forth, and my worth is just kind of all over the map. And that's really a miserable way to live life. Makes sense. It's a serious problem, okay? And if you get that way, by the way, you're going to respond to it projectively and blame everybody for your problems or introjectively. And you're going to blame yourself for your problems, and you're going to blame yourself for everybody else's problems too. And that's just a miserable way to live life, okay? Last Sunday, we walked through a lot of this stuff. What are we going to do about it? Today's going to be about making a life-changing decision. It's going to be about the fact that we have self-agency. We can make choices. Even when our emotions just seem to hold us in bondage, we can make choices. We can do this stuff. And today's also going to be, a, be about what's called a bridging relationship. So, what are we going to do? Uh, I do believe we have lots of choices, and I do believe these actually do apply to us, and you'll see why. So, some of our choices are number one, we can handle our low self esteem and the malformed personalities that we sometimes have uh, as, a, as a secular humanist. We're just, you know what? We're our own gods, we're our own highest good, there is no God. Just take charge of your life, be the captain of your soul, and, and press on, and just deal with it yourself, okay? That's called secular humanism. Or you could do, this is, I love this picture, isn't that crazy? This is hedonism, it's a literal philosophy, and it's the principle of pleasure. And your Bible is basically one statement, if it feels good, do it. That's, that's the hedonist. Pursue pleasure at all costs, avoid pain, Okay? Your third option is go the way of Buddha, okay? Go zen, take a chill pill, man. (laughs) Relax, zen out. And you know, because in Buddhism, it's a wide path. And we're all just kind of on the path in the great collective, right? And we all kind of use each other now and again and just relax and let everybody do their thing and just roll with it, you know? Zen out and, and your life will get better. By the way, Christians actually do that by the way, believe it or not. Or you really want to go deep down the rabbit hole, you can, you can attain to nirvana in the Hindu faith. Nirvana means it's the complete blowing out of self. There's nothing left. If you ignore it, it eventually goes away and nothing is happiness because there's no good, there's no bad, there's no suffering, there's no pleasure, there's nothing. So therefore you can't be upset about anything because there's nothing. You've attained your nirvana, the ultimate state of reality. They actually believe this stuff, by the way. Or for many Christians, and this is really popular among millennials. Chris, you're nodding your head. Moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a title used to describe a common or many millennials today who believe that God is just really this wonderful, gentle, loving God, and he exists to make your life easier. That's why he's here. He, his mor- the, the moral code is to make it good for you and God is kind of there but, but he, he, he doesn't really place demands on you he's just there to be nice and help you out and he feels really sorry when you're having a bad day moralistic therapeutic deism God is the big helper it's kind of like the really rich grandpa the really rich one that dishes out a lot of money to the kids first of all because it keeps them close and then a lot of gifts to the grandkids just because the grandkids would be happy and he's just always giving and, and trying to make everybody happy. This moralistic therapeutic deism. Or you can do, a lot of us do, just refuse to change. I'm content to be avoidant. <laughs> I'm just going to avoid my stuff and, and drink my coffee and with my you know, cookies. And life is going to be tolerable. And I'm just going to press on and not change anything. Or we can follow the example of Jesus Christ. Okay, And we can really lay down and settle it up in our, in our own heads. How did Jesus Christ see himself and how did Jesus Christ value himself? Now, you know what's really scary about this slide? The number of Christians that I know that claim to be Christians, and you know what they do? They dabble in all of this. Come on. tell I me
1: mean, tell the
0: truth. Yep, yep, yep. I know you are. Let's not dodge it, okay? We mm-hmm. dabble in being our own gods, mm-hmm. don't we? We dabble in it, and sometimes we think you know more than God knows. And you can make a better decision on your own self-guidance than with him. Or we've got a lot of secret addictions and little ways that we, we gratify the flesh, and nobody knows about it. And we're a little hedonist, we just keep it in the closet, Okay. We just keep it really quiet, but we're there. We really are. You know, we, we live sometimes, uh, can, I, can, I, can I do confession? Oh my gosh, this is awful. You ready? <laughs> this is hilarious, but it says a lot about my character. I'm embarrassed. So I love this organic white cheddar Cheetos things that you can get at Kroger, they're really good. <laughs> And they're like, no GMOs, and it's organic, no food coloring, white cheddar, so it's good for me. At least so I tell myself. And so here's what I did a couple days ago. You know, do you ever, as an adult, you just want to go indulge into something like that, and you don't want anybody knowing about it because they're going to want some? and you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> anybody with me here? Am I all alone in this cold, dark room? <laughs> so I'm such a goober. I go into my food pantry, and I shut the door. <laughs> and, I, and I'm listening through the wall at my grandkids because I didn't want them knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> and I thought they were moving toward the, the, the sink end of the kitchen, and I go, "Okay, coast is clear." And I open a brand new bag of white cheddar baked cheese puffs, and I pop open the bag. They do want to hear it, and I'm going. Mm. You know, oh, and it's so good and I'm eating that and the next thing I know the door of the pantry opens up and my daughter Catherine goes Daddy I didn't know you were in there and I go hmm? and then of course two grandkids have to hear it so they run right in behind me left and right of my haunches and I'm frozen with a brand new bag of Cheetos and I, and I thought what am I going to do?
2: <laughs>
0: what am I? So I took a can of red beans and I was checking the expiration date. Check <laughs> that tomato paste. And Catherine, being the most amazing daughter in the world, she goes, um, uh, Dorothy, Caroline, I think Daddy needs some alone time. <laughs> He's checking the expiration dates on the cans in the <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? That's not ridiculous. No. I've been to college, you guys. you know you think <laughs> I could just be a man and get that bag of cheetos and sit down in front of everybody and enjoy a few. Just how my name
1: is on)
0: Please don't give me any bags of Cheetos like next week. Please don't do that. Don't add to the problem. So sometimes we're a little hedonist we just keep it real quiet, right? Yeah, We claim faith, but we dabble in this stuff. It's like what Paul said uh, of certain, certain people who claim to be Christians. They claim to know God, but they deny the power thereof. They claim to know him, but they deny his power, and they don't live for him. But, oh, but he's so nice, and he's just there to meet your needs. We dabble in this stuff, and then we refuse to change. Meanwhile, claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Naming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as the name given under heaven to all men. And it is the only name by which we can be saved. And we claim to have faith. And yet we're dabbling in all these things to the point that sometimes there's not a whole lot of difference between us and a non-believer. Okay, What are we going to do? Well, here's a couple things. We can stay stuck in self-esteem, seeing ourselves through the eyes of other people and believing that I am nothing more than my perception of how you see me. And that's pretty, pretty heavy-duty bondage. Or I can say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go on an adventure. I'm going I'm to believe that I can have Christ-esteem. And that I can see and value myself exactly the way Jesus saw and valued himself. And that, I promise every one of you, will change your life radically, if you're willing to do it. And it will cost you everything. It doesn't come easy at all. So there's the answer. Now, starting next Sunday, we're going to go deep just with Jesus Christ. And it's going to be from this point on in the series all about how Jesus Christ saw himself and valued himself in his relationship with Almighty God. That's all we're going to do from this point on. We've done with the diagnostics and defining what the problem. We're done with all that. And now it's going to be, all right, here's the answer, and here's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Okay. So I want to tap into the final final part of of today, and that is reminding us about the strong and the weak in church and bridging relationships. So, by way of reminder, uh, when a child is born, okay, like uh, um, Rachel uh, um, Abel and Caleb, uh, I'm sorry. Clifford. Thank you, Clifford Abel, their baby boy. That baby boy is gonna watch mom and dad. And how mom and dad treat that little boy is gonna give that child the capacity To put their first expression of faith in their mom and dad. That mom and dad are good. And mom and dad are going to be there. And they're going to be faithful. And they're going to be kind. And they're going to give me attunement and approval and discipline and structure. And I know that if I have a need, my mom and my dad are committed to meeting that need. And I have no doubt. Mom and dad are committed to me. And if mom and dad are for me, who can be against me? There's not a kid in the neighborhood. There's not a toy that can be broken. There's not a pet that can bite me. If mom and dad are for me, who can be against me? And it just works in that little kid's mind. It's the first expression of concrete faith. Should that go well? And they become an older child, adolescent, young adult. They make the second great leap, and they put their faith in an abstract God that you can't see. And they have what's called reflective functioning. Corey, they can go way back 2,000 years and they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them 2,000 years ago. People, that's an abstraction. Now, it's real, and I'm convinced it's real. I've given my life to this, but that's a long time ago. Makes sense. Okay? It's, it's real faith. Uh, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things unseen and the evidence of things hoped for. If you can't see it. It's an abstraction. And that faith can be easily developed when their first leap of faith worked with mom and dad. Makes sense? It's a beautiful thing. Now, uh, what about this problem here? What about the fact the first leap doesn't work so well? Mom and dad fail. Uh, All the studies are in, one of the number one deficits in the life of the average child is a godly father. I don't care what the demo is. It's, It's dad. Okay? Mom is the most influential person in a child's life, certainly birth to two. And by five, the script is written in the child. And boy, dad, the role you play in from two years of age on, it's amazing. But that's one of the number one problems. If we don't have godly men loving their wives and loving the kids. Huge deficit. What are you going to do? Well, so there's an idea. Okay, what if there's a kind of additional leap of faith? What if, what if that wounded child comes to Christchurch? What if they're a teenager or something or a young child or an adult and they come to Christchurch? Do you think that they can make a leap of faith to the body of Christ? Can they find loving parental kind of love or familial kind of love here? Can they find nurture, boundary, healthy discipline, approval, attunement? Can they get it here? They should. That's what's supposed to happen. And some people, if they didn't get it at home... They can get it at church and then hopefully make the next leap of faith to God. And that means that we as the church are kind of like a bridge. We can help transition and we can help build. Now, I'm not talking about codependency. I'm not talking about endorsing or creating parasitic relationships where someone decides to treat uh, the body of Christ or a person in the church uh, as though they're the new Savior. No, 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 no. That's silly. That's silly. I'm talking about the body of Christ being the loving, kind heart of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. By the way, this needs to be said. Um, you know that churches can do a lot of damage to people, don't you? Right? They do a lot of damage staff members, pastors, deacons, it doesn't matter who the staff folk are, they can do a lot of damage, lots of harm to people because codependent relationships can form and some really bad unhealthy stuff can happen and it causes tremendous damage. So let me, let me push this idea. with. Do you understand I'm giving you my convictions and I'm giving you my view of the, a human being? I believe right down to our genetic code that we are wired for God. I believe that we are created in the image of God. I don't think my dog Bastion is created in the image of God. I don't, nor are my two cats. Uh, and maybe one day they'll go to heaven and chase butterflies. I'm, I'm not sure if cats ever go there. Um, at least mine. <laughs> I have other issues, people. <laughs> and, but I'm telling you, I'm made in the image of God, and you are too. We as human beings are made in God's image. And as such... We have a capacity for God, okay? But where do people go to find God? Church. I don't know how many hundreds of churches there are in Little Rock. New ones being started on a regular basis. But there's a lot of people, just by virtue of genetics, seeking after God, looking for something beyond us in this great unknown. What happens after death? And all kinds of questions about it. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? How do I have meaning in life? And I'm telling you the answer is in God because we're created in his image, right? Do you realize that when someone with a heart that open comes to church and experiences hate and wrath and ungodly legalism or abuse in church, how damaging that is? Wow. You get it, Jet? I mean, if we're going to be the body of Christ, that's a tremendous responsibility. To love people and care for them. And knowing that love is patient and love is kind and is not jealous and doesn't seek its own. So being the church is serious business. So here's some scripture. I want to get into this. This is really important. I want to talk about self-agency. And here's what I mean by that. Self-agency means you have choices. Okay. And sometimes I frustrate some of my clients that, that... the few, I don't have a lot, who come to me for marriage counseling, but the, the four or five couples that I have right now, uh, some of them get a little irritated when I say, well, you, know, you do have the choice, the option of divorce. And they go, no, I don't. And I go, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And here's why. Uh, if Almighty God can put Adam and Eve in a garden and give them the power of choice to ruin everything, and that was a godly thing for him to do. It's something I need to do. Let me explain. Okay? I can't control anybody's life. Do you understand that? I can't, not a single client, my wife, my kid. I've tried to control Lisa. It doesn't work. Okay? <laughs> and she let me know that one day. Uh, it just doesn't work. <clears throat> I'm not a good Holy Spirit. All right? And she's not a good Holy Spirit in my life. I can't control people. We have choices. All right? Adam made his choices. In the garden, it was perfect. Adam didn't have a dysfunctional father. Did you know that? Didn't have some goofed up mom, some neurotic mother, none of that stuff. Perfect. He he could make a million good choices and he made the one bad one. Because God gave him one of the most powerful gifts a human being could have, and that is choice. Free will. It's called volition. Okay? It's a gift from God. I have to honor that because God did it. I have to do that. So I'll tell my clients, you, well you could divorce. I mean, if you're that miserable, you can divorce. or you can do so and so. You can restore and you can do this in your marriage. And it's almost like they relax when they hear when, when I say that. Uh, because I, just real quick, sometimes I think the church does damage because they have such a high view of divorce, they're actually endorsing abuse, and they don't even know it. There are some marriages that need to go down. I'm just telling you, they need to go down and get over with. They're bad. They're really demonic, and they need to shut it down. It is bad. And I will never endorse a husband or a wife or children being abused in a, in a really demonic marriage. It's going to shut down. Makes sense. Under my watch, it is. I've been on the receiving end of that, by the way. And my mother's divorce was one of the best things that could have ever happened in our lives. Okay? The unpardonable sin isn't divorce. Okay? It's not divorce. It's not the unpardonable sin. Okay. Sometimes the church can do great, do great damage because we force women or men and guilt them into, to, to take the beating. And that's not godly at all. Not godly at all. So we have self-agency. God did it with Adam. He did it with Eve. Look at this one. Deuteronomy 11. I'm setting before you the way of blessing and a curse. How's that for a choice? Most of you, what do you want? Pick pick it. Deuteronomy 30. Hey, I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. What do you want? Okay. It goes on and on. Look at this. Joshua 24. Hey, if, you, if it's upsetting of you, if you have a, a problem, if it's evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, the living God, then choose this day whom you're going to serve. Make your choice. It's okay. You've got self-agency. But as for me in my house... We're going to serve the Lord. And when the people said, heard that, they said, we're going to serve the Lord too. And oh, there you go. I just lost it. And um, uh, the, the people responded back to Joshua that they want to serve him too, just like Joshua is. And then Joshua says this. He says, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you what he says, people. I can quote it easier than I can punch it out. He said this. Okay, fine then you are witnesses today against, against yourself. You are witnesses today against yourself. And guess what they said to Joshua? We are witnesses. We're publicly going on record that we are our own witnesses that we, out of self-agency, have chosen to serve God. That simple. Now what about bridging relationships? This is beautiful. An argument started among them, the youth group of Jesus, as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood by by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among you, among all of you, this is the one who is great. Does anybody see a transitional relationship here, a bridge? Do you see a bridge in that, Joni? Mm-hmm. How so? Well, it's like your A, B, you
2: know, yourself, Jesus, Jesus
0: to God. Yes. Yeah. What do you think happened in that little guy's heart when Jesus grabbed him? I don't know. Is he two, three? F- is he your age? I don't know. Maybe. And Jesus, it just stands him by his side. It's maybe a bigger little boy, right? What do you think happened to that little kid's heart when Jesus rubs him on the head and said, hey, you receive a little guy like this, you're receiving me. What do you think happened to that little boy's heart? And the belief that that somehow Jesus is placing worth on that child. By the way, do you know who the first to suffer are during times of war and famine and abuse in the uh, Old and New Testament? Who are the first ones to suffer in society? children children and for G- for jesus to say that he pull this child close and on, giving the position of honor to a child there's his first mistake or there's the first right thing he's doing and then saying that i give this child worth so much worth to, to accept this child is to accept me how's that for a bridging relationship isn't that amazing look at this one romans 12 never pay back evil for evil to anyone Respect what is right in the sight of all men. For most of my clients, uh, many of them are PTSD uh, because of child abuse. Do you know what they commonly tell me? That their abuser never apologized, never owned it. That, you know, my dad did ABC, my mom did ABC, and has never admitted it and never asked forgiveness. And that child feels such a deep sense of disrespect. Can you imagine giving someone the gift of respect yes. and not trying to shame them publicly, how, how good that is? It's that can bridge, it creates worth. Doesn't it? It's healing through your heart. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Philippians 2, I know Rebecca, you love to quote this. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, by the way, he's talking about Christian relationships. If any affection, compassion, make my joy complete... By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and ten on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Can you see bridging? A, a transitioning that your love becomes healing, makes sense, and can actually move someone toward faith in Christ. I love this one. This is kind of heavy hitter. Um, Stay with me here. This is what uh, is written in 1 John 4 and 15 down to 19. Beautiful stuff. And it goes like this. It says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. But we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Do you know that one of my most difficult tasks in session is with clients? They can't, they're not convinced that God loves them. They're not convinced. John confesses we've come to know it and we've settled it. We believe the love that God has. There's so many people that don't believe that. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. By this, love is perfected, completed with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because, check that out, because as he is, so also are we in the world. What do you think that means? That if Jesus was bridging and trying to connect people to God, that's what I need to be doing. As he is, so I am in this world, so we are in this world. There's no fear in love. Perfectly (coughs) casts out fear. Okay. You are the gifted body of Christ. I want to challenge you. Do you need to make the life-changing decision to dare to go down the path of Christ esteem? To dare to begin to see and value yourself the way Jesus Christ saw and value himself? Believing that you are not going to be one of those people who claim to be a follower of Christ but dabble in all the stuff of the world in all the the very unhealthy ways that we problem solve. You're the gifted body. What would a prophet say this morning to all this? What would a merciful person say to all this? Or an encourager? What would you say to the truth of Scripture that we have choices? We can make good ones. We can make bad ones. It's up to you. You can do that. And what about the the, uh, fact that God calls the church to love people and help transition them into believing that God loves them. What, what has to change in churches for that to happen? In you, in me. You're the gifted body of Christ. Care for yourself. Please speak as though God's spirit is speaking through you. Which might mean you need to pray first. Right? Is there a scripture God saying, you've got to share this. you got to read this. What would you say? You're the body of Christ. Speak from your gifts.
1: God is love and why many people don't believe God loves them. Our idea of we judge God's love based on our current situation. And if our current situation is bad, how could a loving, our idea of love, I experienced that. I my, my spend most of my life estranged from my father. I could not see God. It was impossible because how if my physical father does not show me love, How can I believe that a supernatural, all-knowing God loves me if I can't see it in my life? So based on our relationships with other people, we judge God based on people, not God of who he has established his character to be. God established and decreed in his word that he is perfect, good. His definition of good is perfect. His love and perfection is independent of our situations in life. He never changes in that. But because we are fallen creatures and we judge love based on our current situation, we judge God based on our situations, not our brokenness. And so if we're judging God based on what we believe love to be, is solely a feeling, not based on truth. If we judge solely based on what we experience, we will always feel unloved, unappreciated, unworthy, no self-esteem because of what the world presents to us. But when, it, when the body of Christ steps up and shows that God is perfect and holy and righteous and his love never changes and he is totally independent of all of us and in the midst of the storms and the trials and the tribulations of life he raises up people and he sends people to show them truth of what it really is, that unbiased situation, unbiased, um, um, an unbiased, unjudging um, situation or, 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 or love in a way that overcomes your current situation. So that love d- goes from a, just a feeling to truth. And that truth is what speaks to your heart. When, God's, when that person speaks into your heart, not your conscience, not our, um, our mind, but our hearts to the root of the problem, It's when you speak to the heart of a broken person is when they can start to see love for what it is and not what we've created it to be. Hmm. When God brought a woman into my life to show me what love is supposed to look like, it superseded my past and what I experienced in my life with my daddy. When God sent someone to show me what love looks like, then it was bigger than my situation. And in that, I was able to see that God is not who I thought he was. But God is bigger than my situation, and he's constant. God showed me the trust. He sold a house in 24 hours. I knew then that God, I could trust him with every aspect of my life because he could do something for me I could not do for myself. My mom and my daddy, no one could do this but the everlasting God who he has portrayed in his word. Mm -hmm. So it's when we begin to understand that love is not a feeling, but it's, it, it's, that it's never changing, but we have to see it in a way that supersedes our lives. Yeah. And then God becomes real to us.
0: Mm-hmm. Did that make sense, what you just said? Remember what the slide I had previously? If things fail with mom and dad, boy, is it hard to make a leap toward God. It's hard. For some. I, I broke the rule and I made the jump because it made sense to me. David?
3: One of, the most, one of the more impactful things for me in learning about Christ was that when he came, he did not spend time and hang out with the, the synagogue all the time or with the church people. Where was he? He was in the bars with the people. He didn't partake in their sins, but he was in the bars with them. And they were attracted to what he was. What he was. Here's this man that's supposed to be what the Jews side was supposed to be the condemner of all of them. Yet he sat there with them and spoke to them about God. Mm-hmm. About saving grace, mm-hmm. you know, he saved Mary Magdalene, and <coughs> Stone, and said, "Why are you throwing stones at her? Aren't you just the same as, as her?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how he said that it was. It said that he was placed in this world not to condemn the world, but to save.
0: It. Yes. Yeah. That's and yeah.
3: that's and that's the biggest difference is he he let them have the free will of what they were doing, mm-hmm. but he explained. A better way of going. Mm-hmm. The water that you will never be thirsty again. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They didn't go away from him. Mm-hmm. They were drawn to them mm-hmm. because he did not condemn them. Yeah. He told them. He accepted them. He loved mm-hmm. them, and he had them make the choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
3: I mean, that's that's good that's stuff, David. Really, that's what I think a lot of the church, a lot of the other churches miss. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to any of the church and they slap you with a whole bunch of rules and then they make you feel guilty every time you go sure, to church. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah. Christ didn't do that.
0: Exactly. exactly. Unconditional love and acceptance. Someone else, why does this matter? Yes, Emily. Um,
4: to follow up on what everyone else has said, I think another way the church can grow and show the heart of God is by confession. And I know a lot of people are hesitant to come to the church because they think you know well there are these things in my life that I'm holding on to these sins that if God knew about or if other people knew about it you know they, they wouldn't love me and God you know I can't I can't go to God as imperfect as I am because they don't know his grace and his love yet and so these things that we do in the darkness and we're ashamed of when we confess them and it's brought into the light, it becomes a light because other people see it. The body sees it. And we're told that um, when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Mm,
0: Galatians, yeah. Beautiful. Emily, thank you. Thank you. So proud of you. Others, why this matters? And what can we as a church do to Live out, incarnate Christ's esteem. Yeah, clear.
2: Right, right. Like how do you reconcile? Yeah,
0: Matthew 5, Matthew that. 19, yeah. Uh, first of all, does it doesn't mean it's an endorsement of a second marriage. It's an effort of protection is what it is. It's an effort to gain protection. And at that point, it's separation is what that is. Yeah. And sometimes it does lead to an actual legal divorce, but it's an effort to seek protection and safety. And, so, and it's really an individual case-by-case Um, I'm saying there are some people that get married the second time for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Wrong reasons. And it, and it can be very unhealthy the second time. Yeah, it sure can. But the, the concept here that I'm pushing is safety. That we've got to get, we've got to protect children and wives and sometimes husbands from abuse. I think the church is obligated to do that. And sometimes separation and legal separation and even divorce, I think, is justified. I do. And there's others. I think that there's more than just Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 in the scriptures. Those are not the only two texts that give us teaching on marriage. You have to integrate all of them. And it's hard. It's hard business, Clay. It really is. Uh, Yes, sir. Good to see you again.
2: Yeah. It, also, you know, in the community of Ezra, which there was over 100, 100 men were called away from a non-believing uh, people. They um, had to repent and realize that they, the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, i have mm-hmm. grown up
0: Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, what I wanted to do let's, let's steer it back just a little bit here, okay? That it, it actually is fully, yes, Timmy, it actually fully integrates, by the way. It because, um, mm-hmm. because when we lack good self respect, mm-hmm. good, good self esteem, and we don't understand the value that God puts on us, we can take abuse. Did you know that? Yes. Remember, you remember pop quiz what's introjectivity? The introjective person, what do they do? They take blame and they they literally receive guilt. from. Your problems are my fault, my problems are my fault, and I'm just the giant guy who's to be blamed for everything. That's the introjective person. Typically, that's a self-esteem that's so damaged that they're willing to be treated like a doormat, allow themselves to be treated like a doormat. It's an extremely unhealthy place, and it usually comes from mom and dad, by the way. That is absolutely rooted in how parents respond to those <coughs> kids. Uh, the opposite is projective, where you just delight in blaming everybody. And you, you, you get a lot of gratification in exposing somebody's being wrong. Uh, if you can get a crowd and prove somebody wrong, you've had a good day. Uh, and projective people are pretty dangerous people. So you want to be really careful because both of those can, have, uh, can be windows into a very damaged soul and, and really dysfunctional self-worth. And a lot of abuse can happen, so Tammy. I heard. the best 45-second sermon you're going to hear all day, right there. <clears throat> there it is, there it is. Joni?
5: Yeah. I guess the one thing that comes to my mind is, is the first thing you talked about is the parent relationship to the child, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so much uh, in the past, yeah, the child-to-parent relationship, that first and large, double mm-hmm. arches. Um, that has, been damaged or non-existent in so many people's lives in the past four, three or four decades, that it is hard for, for folks to to make that jump to God, Christ. Mm-hmm. We know we've lived it with, with three of our kids. Yeah. Okay?
0: Yeah, that's right.
5: And I, I wanna kind of follow up on what Tammy said. Is we need each other and there are people here right now that needs somebody to come alongside them we don't have all the answers but we know somebody that does and so I just encourage anyone here that is struggling with this relationship with God and Jesus Christ come talk to, to any of us anybody say, this is where I'm at, and we better, as a body of Christ, be willing to keep that quiet between each other, but to come alongside folks, not gossip, but to share their burden and help them walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Dave, thank (coughs) you. And Tammy, is there a genetic bond with you and Joni? (laughs) I mean, you're tall, she's tall, it's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a legal bond? Obviously, (laughs) IQ, no doubt. Is there a legal bond between you two? No. No, and yet she's your mom. There's something about her heart and your heart that knits together, and you said she's like a mom, like a spiritual mom. We need each other, don't we? And that's okay. It's okay. We need that. So, hey, Allison. Um, um
6: stone to stone. It's accountability. Mm -hmm. It's, we all have the self esteem mindset because we are human. Mm
3: -hmm.
6: We are simple. We are in our own heads. It's all about us. That's, that's who we are. We are called to have Christ esteem. We're also called to, to build each other up, to keep each other accountable if you have something hard to say, tell someone to get out of your head, you have to be able to say it and receive it.
0: Mm -hmm.
6: Because, like you said, churches hurt people because we're all people. We all have self-esteem issues because we're people.
5: Right,
6: right. So accountability is so important when you surround yourself. You have to allow yourself to be teachable. (coughs) You have to allow yourself to see. And you have to to
0: allow
6: yourself to, when
0: you need to make the hard decision and call yeah. someone out, yeah, yeah, not yeah. not worry about hurting feelings because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good, honestly. Yeah, I read yesterday that uh, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From Proverbs, it should be Proverbs twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So. Hey, yes, Angela. Now this is going to be good because Angela's really quiet, so everybody uh, listen here. <laughs> <laughs>
6: this will be the first and last time. Um, I think it's really important when we have a message like we have today, our first instinct is to look at ourselves and say, do we need this? Is this something I need um, to fix my crisis?" team? But I just want to urge everybody that it's so much more far-reaching than that. Whether or not you choose to fix your crisis, esteem is going to extend to your kids because your kids are going to observe you and they're going to learn the patterns that you've learned. And then it's also going to extend to your friends because if you choose not to fix your crisis team, then when a friend comes into your life and they need a bridge, you're not going to be able to be that bridge for them. Mm-hmm. So as we're going through um, the next few weeks, the, the, the decision whether or not to fix your own crisis thing is going to extend so much further than yourself.
0: Wow. You nailed it, Angela. It's a, it's a big ripple effect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we are called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. You all are so patient, and it's already 12. I, I, you, you're just so patient. Thank you for loving and caring for each other at this kind of level. Do you realize we have so much work to do? Do you get it, people? This is a lot of work to be the hands and feet of the body, and it's something that's got to be shared because one person can't be the mom and dad to all. You just can't. Or the little brother or the little sister. It's, you know, it, It's got to be a shared responsibility.
1: Well, that's why we're called a body
0: yeah. Every, yeah, every
1: part of the body is meaningful. The, the toe is not more important than the hands or the eyes. Yes, we have to work together, all together for the body to function and be healthy. Absolutely, to be a healthy body, we all have to work together and not covet or be upset or feel less important because you can't do what another part of the body can do. But if you cut off your big toe, you'll see how the rest of the body will fall. Yeah, yeah. so That's you good can stuff. see that. Your fingers, every part is important, and sometimes we look at the the part that does the most as most important. No, if you if you if you don't have a part, you'll see the rest of the body fall. Yeah. So we have to see that we need the strength, we need each part and all the diversity in the body to be healthy. Mm -hmm. That's why he called us a body because Christ is the head.
0: Yes, it's all the parts coming together. So, Cana, if you're the hand, and I'm the foot. I need to be a first-class foot and not try to be a second-class hand. You know what? I'm a foot. Come on. Come on. do, Do what feet do, and it works really well, and quit trying to be a hand or just a foot. Dogs don't meow and cats don't bark. It is what it is, so I love it. I'm going to pray for you and bless you. Abba, Father, thank you so much for what's happened this morning. It is amazing. It is marvelous in my eyes. I am so grateful Thank you for Angela, what she said, and Tammy, and and the others, and Clay, so committed to Scripture, so grateful for Clay. Father, we need you, and we confess that we've tried to handle it on our own. We've botched it. We've goofed it all up. We've tried to be our own gods. We've tried to to make ourselves happy by gratifying instinct. We've tried to just think outsmarted and and, and handle it in all kinds of creative ways ways and it all leads to the same empty place you are the way the truth the life there's no other way to god except through you and you love us so much you gave your life for us would you please teach us more about the gospel thank you for Stephen and the songs that they're going to be singing. just amazing that you god would look at your son and consider it enough to accept me what good news God, teach us to have courage, to dare to believe that we can actually share in the esteem of your son. Please, it's in his name I pray, amen.